everybody, and welcome to another new edition of Live from Pawnee. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mark. Mark, how are you today, sir? Sir Alan of the Roundtable, good morning, good morning. I'm doing great. I am totally pumped for our special episode today. Wait a minute. A special episode? Do you mean it's a... That's right. It's a... Live from Pawnee presents Pawnee Spotlight. Very nice. Very nice. It's been a minute since we've had a uh, Pawnee Spotlight. Yeah, it has. I'm excited about this one. Yep. And of course, uh, we mentioned, if you listened to our episode last week, that uh, we were going to have an, our interview with production designer Ian Phillips. That's right. We That's were right. Uh, we got a, in our uh, season five uh, retrospective, the grab bag, as we called it. Yeah. We got to play a couple clips of our interview with Ian because we had that great conversation about all the uh, cool locations in Indianapolis and Los Angeles. And yeah. uh, just one aspect of production design at the end of the day is making all these places look and feel like they're live lived in Pawnee locations. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that from a pers- you know, it, of course it's fun to hear from the writers, from the the actors that you know the the yep. the, the comedians and all that, but directors. It, it, it's it's interesting yeah. to hear it from a little bit different perspective of people that are just as as necessary and critical to the show's success, you know. Yeah. Uh Ian Phillips, uh, Kim Wanup. Yeah. Uh, th- I think decorated. they both yeah. work together on yep. Parks and Rec. And, they have. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we, we've been lucky enough to talk to everybody in, in many, many different roles. I think this is the first time we've talked to anybody on the production design team. And Ian led production design from season two through season seven. Yep. And, um, you know, uh, and, and really kind of started in season one. If you if you hear what he talked about in the interview, how he kind of got introduced. Yeah. Season one production designer Dan Bishop, of course, uh, brought Ian on and then Mm. uh, Dan left and did some other stuff. And then Ian stuck around and basically did the rest of the run by himself. So um, very interesting. I think it was one of our more maybe I I hate to use the word technical because that sounds boring. And this was definitely not boring, but detailed. Right. Conversations about this, the art and craft of actually making these things appear on screen. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I know for myself, I know very little about the mechanics Maybe that's of, why. of, of what his job entails. Much. And yeah. I thought it was fascinating. And he, he conveyed it in a very easy to understand and interesting manner. I think that's true. I think that's very true. In fact, so, um, yeah, he, he, he put us at ease and we, uh, he put up with some technical silliness there at the beginning, <laughs> which. I swear to God, we need better interns. We really need better interns. We got to quit taking breaks because every time we do, it's like we got to relearn how to do all this again. It's like learning to walk all over again. Yeah. So someone's got to shake that etch a sketch and get it back. Oh, my God. You're not joking, are you? So, <laughs> well, hey, Mark, why don't we do this? Why don't we get into our interview with Ian and then uh, we'll, we'll come back and wrap everything up. Play the interview, man. All right. No further ado. Here nope. is Ian Phillips. have a very special guest today. He's worked on hundreds of productions as both art director and production designer, working across dozens of TV series, videos, shorts, TV movies, and films, not the least of which is a little show we like to call Parks and Recreation. Please welcome our guest today, Ian Phillips. And Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us, Ian. Absolutely. I look forward to this. Now, Ian, you're on the West Coast, or the the, the, the yes. good coast, right? Okay. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's the hot coast. This the hot weekend. coast, yeah. 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 I think that's going around. <laughs> right. 
I know in our, our pre-chat there, you know, I think uh, we're, Mark probably mentioned we're a little north of Pawnee. We're here in Indianapolis. So Yes, yes. You never really know how far you are from Pawnee. No. Well, that's true because we don't really <laughs> know. It's does. like Springfield, Simpsons, Springfield, right? That's right. Where is that's, it? That's absolutely right. Yeah. No, no one, one knows. knows. No one knows. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's somewhere in Indiana. I can tell you that much. Close enough. Yes. That's right. <laughs> I drive all over southern Indiana and I... I'm not sure the place they describe exactly exists, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I don't think we ever, I think that was part of the goal was to never make it a real place because of the antics and, you know, the the people that we make fun of oh, yeah. and the oh, jokes. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to make fun of real people. And certainly we don't, we never wanted to cause anyone harm. Uh, <laughs> so there was never, there was never a set place for Pawnee, Indiana. Well, we, we like to tell people we're about 90 minutes north, you know, and for most of the country, that sounds about right. they don't know what that means. So that, that works fine. And with for us. traffic, it's like two hours. Oh, at least. So, oh, at least. Yes. Easily. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks again for joining us today. I also wanted to thank our friend, uh, Kim Wanup. She was the one who originally yes. suggested we speak with you. Uh, I know you've been on her show a couple times and uh, worked, yes, worked Kim closely. and I uh, have worked together quite, quite a few times. Yes. Kim is great. She is great. She, she is, is great. great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ian, we, we've talked to uh, quite a few on-screen guest stars and we've talked to a few uh, writers and directors uh, and crew Um and there have been a few interesting stories about how different people got introduced to uh, Parks and Rec, how they how they first found jobs on there. Um, what's your story? Like how you started on season two? Is that correct? Uh, so I actually started season one. Um, I was art directing on season one with Dan Bishop, okay. who did the first couple of episodes. Uh, we had a very short first season um it was only six episodes six, i believe yeah. Yeah. um and so i was art directing for dan and dan was getting ready to go back to Mad Men, i believe and he passed my name on to mike Schur and greg daniels who of course created the show and said you know i i think ian would be a great fit for it i went in and interviewed for the second season and uh then i started designing the show wow nice wow and i was there from then on till the end, the end. <laughs> wow that's great well i know we're not specifically covering any one episode today but you know uh this is probably a tough one but of those you know what 118 episodes you had as uh as production designer you clearly have a favorite Wh which one is it Oh, so many favorites. Stop, That's a, that is a tough question. Um, There's no wrong answer. Your favorite here. kid. You can't do it. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> you know, little Sebastian was really fun. Um, of course, anytime you get a miniature horse, uh, how can you really <laughs> go wrong? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think probably the most exciting of course was the the beginning of the second season for me and the probably saddest was um the end of course uh mm -hmm. granted it had run its course and you know we we worked our way into the future at some point but 
you know, there were so, so many good times on the show and it was such a fun show to design and really just be a part of because everyone there was so collaborative and really, I think, you know, put their heart and soul into, into the show. That reminds me, I know there was a question I did want to ask about. I mean, this show we've heard a lot about from the different guests we've spoken with about kind of the culture of the show, you know, how does it compare for you to maybe some of your other television, uh, you know, either in the art direction world or as a production designer, some of your other experiences? You know, it's, I would say it is probably in the top, that might be the top one show, honestly. Wow. Um, the people from, you know, from Mike and Greg all the way down to the bottom, all of us uh, below the line, you know, I think really, really wanted to work on the show and wanted the show to be fun and collaborative and i think everybody had a good time and i have to say you know in terms of shows being fun to work on comedies are great mm. because at some point everybody has to laugh <laughs> and it's better than you know finding dead bodies out in the park somewhere because i i did that for years too and it, it, it honestly gets a little depressing and everything is taken a little too seriously so comedy is is really nice because i think everybody just wants to have a good time that makes a lot of sense i, I gotta ask so in your experience with with the gang who would break the most often oh god you know i would I don't know that there was any one person specifically that would break, but I would say that uh, Chris Pratt really, there were a lot of times that Chris just threw things out that I think most people weren't expecting. Um, of course, a lot of those, you know, don't end up in the show and, uh, you know, you can find bloopers online and, yeah. Uh, right. But Chris definitely did a fair amount of joking that was far outside of the script. And I think, you know, of course, there were there were crew members that would stand around that would ruin a take because they couldn't stop laughing. There were casts that couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, I, I think Chris was definitely the one who cracked the most jokes. That's for sure. He may be the cause of the most people breaking. There you yes, go. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, I think, you know, the, that whole cast from what we've seen and certainly observed ourselves or and heard from others, you know, a, a lot of improv, but also those scripts are so good that I think a lot of people, some of that think that works improv, improv but it's not. It's just that well written in addition. It, that's right. That's absolutely right. Typically, you know, when they when they were shooting, they would do all of their takes until they really felt that they had what was scripted. And then after that, there might be one or two takes of them kind of improving and going off book. So it was really the writing. You know, the, the Mike really created a great show and he was he was able to make it funny. And of course, it takes an actor to deliver that. But it really it really started with Mike. And you worked with Mike also on The Good Place, if I'm not mistaken. I did. Yeah, I did. I worked on The Good Place and also uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Nine, which yeah. Mike had a part of. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I've I've actually done quite a few projects with Mike, and he's he's fantastic. I I just finished a show last year called Primo, uh, which is on Amazon. Yeah. Mike uh, was the executive producer on that, yeah. and he's he's really become a, a king of comedy. Certainly, he's got some powerhouses for sure. Um, yeah. I'm a I, I know we're huge fans of Parks and Rec and Brooklyn Nine Nine and Good Place, uh, all premier shows as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're all very funny shows, and they're they're all very fun to work on. I think they also have kind of a um, an undercurrent of heart to them too that not every sitcom has. You know, that, that's at least my impression. Yes, I I do feel like there is nothing mean spirited mm. about Mike's shows. I mean, granted, you can make fun of all sorts of people. Uh, you know, and 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 we all do. We all of course uh, you know, can make snide comments, but I think that the writing in parks was uh broad enough that you could take those jokes and apply them to a lot of different people. But it was also specific enough that I think you could say that there was one person that everybody knows one of those people, especially in parks. Oh yeah. You know, the Ron Swanson character, the guy who <laughs> wants nothing to do with the government is working for the government. The government. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. You know, it's you, you have, I think, and that applies across the board, you know, whether it's an accountant that doesn't want to be an accountant, but that's where they're at in life. And and I think that Mike was able to apply that and make it funny without making it be hurtful to anyone. Yeah, I agree. Alan and I have actually talked about that. Like, you know what? Ron Swanson hates the government. What? How did he get there? Like, why, yeah. why is he doing that? <laughs> that's right. That's right. We want to write like, the prequel. Like all of the characters. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, other than Leslie... Really, nobody has any interest in being there. You know, Tom, of course, is, you know, he's going to be an entrepreneur and he's going to be a billionaire. And, right. You know, Retta just doesn't really feel like being at work, of course, or <laughs> Donna, I should say. Um, you know, April starts out as sort of this character who is doing an internship and she's kind of, I don't really want to be here, but I got to do it. Uh, of course, you know, uh, Chris Pratt's character is sort of the same thing. He just sort of gets swept up in it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I think all of the characters, even Rashida's character, and, you know, she she's a nurse, but all of a sudden she really starts participating in the government and realizing that, you know, things aren't quite they don't work as smoothly as anyone would like right um which you know is great i i think it's it it's really it, it just makes it fun i i thought they found clever ways to make it somewhat plausible for all those crazy characters to be involved in that environment you know because yes. if you don't do that right everyone's going to say well why is this shoeshine guy always in the office you know <laughs> <laughs> right. And and it's it sort of suits his character, to be perfectly honest. Like he again 
does I mean he needs a job because he's living in the pit and <laughs> yet you know he he becomes the shoeshine guy and he's like oh well I you know I just kind of want to go hang out with my friends so he yeah. always ends up on the other side of the office and I think we all know that person too there's there's always a person that is never at their desk they're always doing something else whether it's in the break room or you know walking around <laughs> whatever it is there's there's always those characters well that was me when mark and i worked together so i, I just walked around aimlessly <laughs> it's true what what would and we mark call it was at his desk working he was working i called it leadership by walking around so right uh, absolutely just look busy it's a thing it exactly busy. exactly yes <laughs> Well, Ian, how, how did uh, you get into art direction, ultimately production design? You know, what was, you know, obviously it's a creative medium and uh, I definitely feel deeply, uh, you know, connected to the creative side of my brain, even though I was an IT guy for a while. Well, how did you get into that or were you on that track, that artistic track from the beginning? You know, I, I mean, going way back to high school, um, back when we were carving into stone, um, <laughs> I have to say, you know, I was in theater. I was involved with the theater a lot. Um, it was never something that I thought would interest me as in a career sense. Um, after I got done with college, or actually during college, I I worked with the theater a little bit too. And again, you know, it was fun and. And I was sort of uh, an April Lovegate character. Um, <laughs> you know, it was it was one of those college jobs that uh, they they were hiring, and I was like, "Well, I've done it before. I've worked in the theater. Why not do it again?" And I kind of college, I kind of you know moved around through a few different careers or job choices, and um, I was actually introduced to Dan Bishop. And who, of course, you know, designed the first six episodes. And he sort of taught me the ropes of, you know, uh, working in the art department. And my my father uh, actually was a prop master in the film industry. But when I was a kid, I was like, oh, God, I'll never do that. It's so, you know, it's all he does is work and he's busy all the time. And, and I think most kids probably see that in their parents they go oh god all you do is work and I, you know as i started to learn more and more about the art department i'd fallen in love with it and i had always been an artist of sorts i you know have been drawing and painting and uh i picked up a hobby of furniture building and uh, you know i still that. do that and it's it's all sort of very design oriented and I'm always, I've always been fascinated with architecture mm. and it was just kind of a perfect fit to be able to do art and architecture and design all the, all in the same space. And honestly, it's very non-committal because <laughs> all of and I say that very loosely because obviously uh, you have to commit at some point in the art department, but otherwise nothing would get built. <laughs> but that being said, um, 
you know, the, the episode shoot in five days. And that means that not only do you have to come up with a concept in essentially anywhere between five and 10 days for the design of a set, for the design of a world, for TV shows, mm -hmm. but you also, you have to tear it all down right after that. So it's, it shows up just as quickly as it disappears. And that's sort of what I mean by non-committal because there's no, you know, everything just happens so fast. And on a feature, you have months that you can plan all of yeah. this and think about all of these aspects. And in TV, it's, it's so fast. And that's what I really love about it is mm -hmm. that all of that gets combined and it all happens so quickly. And I know when I first started, you, I, I remember thinking, how are we going to get all of this done in the span of eight weeks? And by eight weeks, I mean, I reference starting a show. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's eight weeks to prep. So maybe a little longer, maybe a little shorter, but you have eight weeks to get your permanent sets built. So we would for season two specifically we built the whole second half of city hall in eight weeks and that's only wow. a permanent set so that's one permanent set we also had to build ann's house yep. during that time uh, because we had shot it all on location previously um so you have to come up with all these concepts and designs and and it all happens so fast and granted i'm working you know 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day to, to come up with these ideas and get them approved and then get them to the set designer. So the set designer can start doing the actual technical drawings. And then we have to get it actually built because the drawings don't end up on camera. And then there's all of the paint and the wallpapers and the carpets and, you know, and to think about where you're going to shoot some of this stuff you know locations are hugely important mm. granted some of those you know you've already decided and you're matching the existing spaces but a lot of times you know a week before you're going out and looking for locations and thinking okay we know we're in indiana granted we are shooting in los angeles so there's going to be a few things that you know we're probably going to miss and <laughs> hopefully post will be able to take out some of the palm trees and i know that that's <laughs> always people's biggest gripe about uh indiana is there are we have none. very few palm yes, trees very few <laughs> yes maybe on some porches we, yeah right right exactly exactly and uh but you know i think all of that combined really has sort of fueled my love for the design of TV and film. And, and of, of course, I've always been fascinated just by TV and film and creating new worlds and seeing new worlds. And I, I think all of that is so interesting. I know when we talked with Kim, you know, we talked about kind of the art department in general because, you know, she's in set decoration and you've been in both, you know, as an art director and, and set designer. Like, how how do they all work together? Like, you know, I mean, who kind of 
I assume there's a lead on certain things and other people then get assigned things. And like, how's that all work? I mean, how much of that's handed to you and how much of it do you guys work together as a team to make up? So, you know, honestly, I would say all of it is a team effort. All of it really has to be a team effort because otherwise nothing would get done. Mm. <laughs> I think um, basically what, what happens is I will get a an outline. Very first thing, I get an outline for a script mm. and I will talk to the producers, Morgan, Mike, uh, and we'll kind of discuss what, what these things are, where these locations need to be, what they, what they need to feel like. Mm. And we just kind of sit around and talk about it a little bit. And then from there, Morgan uh, Sackett, who was one of the executive producers, um, we together, Morgan and I will talk to the locations department mm. and we'll give the locations department very specific things. Um, we want it to be a single story house. We want it to feel very middle America. We want it to feel middle class. Um, we don't want it to feel like it's right in the city. So then the locations department will go out and they will search for houses or uh, buildings or offices, whatever the scene may require. They'll bring those back and we'll look through pictures. And I would say anywhere from five to 25 locations will be set in a Dropbox and we'll just start clicking through. I will start clicking through and saying, yes, this works. No, this doesn't work. Yes, this works. No, this doesn't work. Then we have to go actually see these locations because a lot of times they may not necessarily flow right mm. because in my head, I've already sort of mapped out where characters are going to be and what the blocking is going to be yeah. because you can't have a director show up on set and say, oh, well, I thought that, you know, the, the character was going to come from a really long hallway and it was going to take him. 30 seconds of screen time to get down that hallway. So I'm sort of analyzing all of that in my head before we've even thought about building anything or seeing any locations. Yeah, interesting. So in a location, um, sometimes we will have to build the interior of that set. Anne's house is a perfect example, um, or City Hall for that matter. We, we have an exterior and we know what the outside looks like, but then we have to create what the inside is. Mm -hmm. So from that, what I will typically do is I'll do a sketch of maybe a few key scenes and what I think the overall room should look like. Um, then I'll do a floor plan and it's essentially an architectural floor plan. And I've kind of, again, like I said, blocked out in my head where characters are moving in that space. Um, from that, I'll take it back to Mike and to Morgan. Uh, a lot of times 
the caveat is the price tag, of course, <laughs> like everything, everything costs money. No budget. Um, right. Exactly. Now that's the dream. Yeah, well, right. maybe. I don't know, we'll see. Right. Sometimes that's more problems than it's worth. But, you know, we'll take that back and everybody will kind of look at it together and we'll discuss it. And then sometimes there's changes made. Sometimes there's not. And from there, I will hand that floor plan and the sketches to a set designer. And the set designer basically will draw all of the architectural plans that the construction department needs to build. And this is really where it all sort of falls under the art department purview. Mm -hmm. um, once the set designer is done, all of those plans get handed off to an art director who will then begin to source all of the things that we actually need to make real spaces mm -hmm. and by that i mean your door handles your uh you know your lights your and yep. and all all of the time while this is happening we're we're being very collaborative the art director is bringing me things and saying oh do you like this is this sort of the style that you were thinking and then we have to make sure that it all fits within the budget. So from there, Kim will get a set of plans too. And in the architectural floor plans that I came up with originally, there's furniture. And that furniture is, you know, essentially an idea to give everybody else on the crew, the camera department, the grips, the electricians, everybody an idea where the lights are going to be where the wow. couch is going to be where <laughs> the rug is going to be if there's a hole in the wall everybody will know long before it's ever built because sometimes there's there's a chance that we will get behind and the camera crew shows up and the painters are walking away from the set and literally <laughs> The paint is still drying on the set, but sometimes those are the best ones. Yeah. You know, so that's, so that's all sort of the process of how, how it flows. Um, and then there's also the prop master, um, Gabe Perello, who was yeah. our prop master on parks. Um, you know, she has to source all of the props and I'm in constant communication with her as well because we don't want a prop to necessarily disappear into the couch. It's sort of like having a green screen. Yep. You don't want somebody wearing a green suit <laughs> standing in front of a green <laughs> screen because they're going to disappear. Um, you know, or is the prop too big to fit in that hole in the wall? Um you know, we, we are always talking and there's constant collaboration of the art department and all of the other departments as well, because if Kim finds a light fixture, that light fixture, even though it's been approved by me, doesn't necessarily mean that the electricians can mm -hmm. make it work. Mm -hmm. Right. We can't use, well, I, I should say a few years ago, we couldn't necessarily use LED lights because they had a problem with flickering. Yeah. So you would notice on TV shows and yeah. movies, lights that would flicker. So sometimes if, if you have enough time, electricians can rebuild that light fixture. Wow. But if we're not in constant 
contact with them, they don't know. And they can't just show up and say, oh, well, I didn't realize it was going to be 110 volts. And you <laughs> you told me it was going to be 12 volts or <laughs> I had no idea. So, you know, you want to make sure that that light actually works. <laughs> And I think that's, you know, it's a, the art department is really very central in, in making TV and film yeah. because every department has to talk to us. They have to go through us at some point, whether that's special effects or uh, visual effects. Um, yeah. You know, you have all sorts of gags where I've worked on shows that, you know, a hand needed to come through a couch. Well, you have to be prepared for that. The, <laughs> the, the stunt people have to know where the hole is going to be. The visual effects people have to know yeah. where it's going to be, how much green to provide. What is the, is there smoke coming from it? Or right. So there's everybody, we're very central, I think, in, in terms of the production of a TV show or a film. Yeah. I, th I think, you know, for the layman like me, I always assumed early on, especially that, you know, all those things were fake or, you know, we knew they weren't digital and the, you know, like in the television series, because they don't have a billion dollar budget, but there, there's a lot of practical elements and practical things on the set, like the lights Absolutely. actually work. And, and yes. those are things people don't even think of. I certainly didn't. So. And, and, it, you know, it's, I think, uh, what a lot of people don't realize too is that just because there is a light fixture it doesn't work the way a light fixture in your house works mm. that that light fixture is powered to a generator somewhere or house power which would be the power of the stage but the actor never actually turns on and off the light with the switch that's wired it's not even wired Right. to be honest the the switches are they're dead switches <laughs> and that light is controlled by a dimmer board operator so that wow. that can all be fully controlled by someone else granted they're watching a screen in front of them to make sure that the timing is correct mm -hmm. uh but you know we we really a lot of that still is is fake it's, right. even though it looks real it's still the light may be real the switch is real but the switch doesn't connect to that light right um and a lot of times that is for just practicality of you know a, a person a character that has to go turn off a light switch light switches are up against walls they're impossible to shoot you can't yeah. shoot someone's face turning on and off a light switch <laughs> so you can see them do it and sometimes you want to go, oh, well, you know what would be better? That light switch over there. Because then we're not shooting into a corner. Mm. We actually get to see the whole room. Because that's more important, honestly, than the guy turning off the light switch. Yeah, right. It's really seeing the world and the lights go off. That's how you know the lights went off, is when you see all of those that's lights right. go off. <laughs> exactly. Seeing the guy just move the switch doesn't mean anything. So if you're shooting up against a wall... You don't see any of that stuff. That's a good point. Good point. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times too, uh, certainly when we're building sets, uh, talking about electrical things, you know, we, 
all of the plugs and the things that you have in your house that you just walk over and you go plug in the vacuum cleaner and it works well we have to we have to really think about where those things are placed because you know some if you ever have watched a tv show and you go god that wall looks really weird there's something wrong about it it may be missing a switch or maybe missing a plug like all of those things that mm -hmm. otherwise you wouldn't think about we have to make sure they're in there yeah. and that they're placed properly and a lot of times in tv shows you'll see an excess amount of plugs uh, because we will use those practically and the studio lights will actually get plugged into those plugs so that there's not giant cables running through the set or through the shot they can actually plug into a wall plug and for me it's you know that's all off camera but when the camera turns around <laughs> you see that plug and you go oh yeah that makes sense yeah i get it i get it yeah Very it's cool. far more intricate than i think any 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 uh person not in that business would ever think about so definitely it's crazy yeah and it's and it's all about the collaboration that's i mean because you know i could put in a light or i could put in a switch or i could put in a plug but if the electricians don't power it then that means it's going to take more time yeah and the camera is going to have to wait longer and we're always in such a time crunch it's always such a time crunch with i mean with anything granted a tv a movie it doesn't doesn't matter there's there's never enough time because a director always wants more takes you know <laughs> the the production designer always wants to you know age the wall a little more and paint and the right. set decorator always wants to make sure that the blanket is folded properly and that the pillow has gotten the karate chop in the middle so you know <laughs> it's i think uh everybody would love more time so we're always in that time crunch and how do you how do you make something feel realistic you know you mm. you have to have a fair amount of attention to detail like you said to to really make it feel real and like people live in this world because wow. that's the goal right yeah. you when you watch tv you want you want to be a part of that world you want to feel immersed in it Absolutely. and you know i i want to feel like yeah i'm working there with leslie and ann and ron and you know I, i've got a desk over there in the corner <laughs> that's that's the fun of it even jerry even jerry and even jerry or larry <laughs> Gary, or, or Barry, Barry, that's right or terry yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lenny in one episode so that's right that's right well, you know, I, I wanted to ask, I know we talked, uh, mentioned that we might talk about locations a little bit and you, you gave us a fair amount already, but just hearing you speak about like the, the set design in a controlled set, you probably don't have that much luxury, I'm assuming, on a, a location shoot. Like what are the big differences in preparing for a location? Well, you know, it's, it's huge, honestly. Um, with building a set on stage, if, you know, if we know long ahead of time, we could have eight weeks to build a set. And we know that um, we can take walls out of a set because they're not real walls. They're, everything is fake and everything moves. But when you go into a real location, you go to a real house, you can't just take a wall out. 
Sometimes you can take a window out to point a camera through, but you can't just take out a whole wall, <laughs> unfortunately. And in terms of preparing that location, uh, you know, it's anywhere from one to three days to undress all of the homeowner's items, yeah. um, bring in a paint, put up wallpaper and then bring in all of the new set decoration to fit that character. Um, a perfect example is uh, Leslie's house. Um, sure. When we first saw Leslie's house, she was a hoarder, right? Oh, we, yeah. we saw this crazy craftsman house and that was all sort of decided by, oh, well, you know, she's a history buff and she... And I think they even, if I remember correctly, some of the dialogue was like how much she loved history. And that was why she lived in that house. And, but that was a very sensitive house. It was, it was a house built in the late 1800s in Hmm. Pasadena or Altadena. Hmm. Um, You know, they were very sensitive about the wallpaper Hmm. because the, uh, if I remember correctly, it was a, historically accurate wallpaper to that house it was a green and green wallpaper so we couldn't just hang pictures wherever we wanted certainly we couldn't put nails in the wall now you can figure out ways to hang a picture you can put a large picture over a tv Mm. flat screen to hide it uh you know, you can use command hooks, which everybody has in their house. <laughs> yep. um, these days, you know, those didn't used to be so common. Um, so we had to figure out other ways. But that house was a, a good example of we have to fill this house up. We have, you know, probably three days to do it. We have to basically get rid of all of the homeowner's furniture and start over. Um, granted, there are other times where... Um, we have had to start from scratch, which is just as hard to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Tilton and Radomsky. Oh. It was an empty <laughs> office. It was just an, you know, it was an office building. That's all it was. So there were no desks, there were no chairs, there was no art on the wall. Wow. It was carpet and glass, and that was it. We have wow. to find and source all of the stuff that goes in there. And then on top of it, personalize each individual space because you want it to feel like, well, first of all, that they're accountants, but you know, that Marge over there in the corner is the cat lady and she really loves cats. So we, that's how we sort of characterize all of these individuals and create these individuals. But we are literally starting from scratch. All there is is walls. So you have to, you know, locations can be hard. And part of being collaborative with the locations department in general is finding the right space that not only works for what I think the space should look like, but also for the actors to be able to act in. Because you can't find an office that's so small that the camera can't get in there. Right. You have to, you have to think about all of that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, 
yeah, locations can be challenging. They, they really can be because you have to work within the confines of that space, whatever that space is, whether it's a house or an office or, you know, a, a working building where you can't even enter the building until 9am when everybody else is there. Sometimes we are fortunate enough that we can go in and work overnight Hmm. so that we can get these places ready. But sometimes we're not. Sometimes it's like, okay, the shooting crew is going to be down the street at another location and we're going to be dressing. uh, Dennis Feinstein's was one of those locations where it was like, sometimes we couldn't get into that location because it was a working office. So we could go in the morning of and be in there and redress the whole entire location. So we had, you know, I would say anywhere from four to eight hours for construction to be able to get in, hang all the signs for Kim to be able to get in and dress the set. And then all of a sudden the shooting crew is there and it's like, okay, well, I guess we're filming now. (laughs) That's amazing. That's a challenge for location, certainly. Yeah, to introduce that level of practicality and yet make it seem lived in or real, you know, the real world. I mean, that's amazing. I agree. Yeah. Like you didn't just set the actor down at a desk, you know, that he works there, you know. Right. Right. And, you know, for for Ben, you know, when he was there at Tilton and Rodomsky, it was like you have to create not only all these other characters, but what about just him specifically? Because everybody already knows who he is outside of this office. But now, who is he when he's at this office? Because when you have coworkers, doesn't necessarily mean that your buddies with them and you're hanging out with them. You see one aspect of them, and that is when you're at work. And when they go home, they may be a totally different person. So, you know, the, the lady who has one cat in her cubicle may have 20 at home or vice versa you know (laughs) (laughs) she may have 20 cats uh, 20 pictures of cats hanging on her cubicle right but is actually allergic to them she's allergic yeah she can't have any so you have to right you have to you have to sort of come up with these crazy backstories of like who all these people are and and then also with your hero characters who are they when they're at work wow I've got one you can use. Uh, I know a guy named Mark and he created a little coffee shop at work called Marbucks. He totally stole it. Nice. (laughs) Doesn't have anything to do with anything. No. Lawyers make us say that. No. (laughs) That's how he got friends though. He just had free coffee and then, you know, we all, we all became friends. So it worked. Yeah, I'm not. That's, that's right. I'm not popular enough to make it on my own. I just got to give out free coffees and pastries. Um, Ian, I'm so glad you brought up Tilton and Radomsky. That's uh, one of my favorite places. I, I tell Alan, I get giddy almost every time we see Barney trying to hire <laughs> uh, uh, Ben away and then it, it never works. Um, and, 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 you know, like you said, it, it takes a real degree of uh, skill and practicality to make a place like that kind of I don't know, come alive is the right term, but you know what I mean? To, to make it feel like it's not a sterile environment like that. Right. Um, and, and honestly, and it's funny that you say that because you know, that was kind of the joke anyways, is that Mm. it is 
a sterile accounting facility. Nobody has any personality there. Now, granted, I talk about, you know, Marge or the the woman that's in the back with the cats. You you want it to feel that sort of stereotypical and sterile and and you want it to feel like, oh, this is just an accounting office. This is boring. Nobody wants to work here. <laughs> <laughs> so it does, you know, it sometimes that's even harder mm. to come up with something that you think, wow, what is what is boring? Like what does boring mean? Because even like, people that yeah. go to boring places every day for work, they don't account for that. They don't think about that. Mm -hmm. They're they're there to get a paycheck. And right. when I think about it, I'm like, oh God, what sheen of paint should I use to make it even more boring? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want a logo that looks exciting. I want it to look like if I walked into this place, this would be the accounting firm I would want to use because all they do is think about accounting. Numbers. Yes. <laughs> I can't think there's a lot of people in the world who would have to ask themselves that question. What can I do to make this place look boring? You know? <laughs> right. But no, that makes complete sense. I thought Barney's office yeah. was spot on too. Like it seemed to Absolutely. fit. It wasn't empty, but it, like you said, it wasn't. You know, there weren't tchotchkes and all that kind of stuff everywhere. And, uh, you know, the palette's pretty, pretty basic, you know, but it works. You know, it looks like yes. Barney's desk and Barney's bureau. And uh, you, know, you got the whiteboard with him. And what was uh, the one guy that hated Ben for a minute there? Frank. So uh, Frank. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we love Frank. So, <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of it. Like, Right? How do you tell? How do you tell the story of mm. who this guy is? Because he's not going to be there for four more seasons. Yeah, I've got one shot at telling this guy's story. Wow, wasn't that location in Indiana as well? Did I did I make that up? That so that actually was in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, we we shot it. Um, oh, I feel like it was in an area called Woodland Hills. Mm. And I, I don't know, if you look real close, you might see a bunch of crew members in the parking lot when they, he leaves and all the signs are up in the parking lot. In fact, the my graphic designer at the time decided to sneak one in and put my name on, on one of them. <laughs> and uh, I have that sign hanging in my garage to this day, awesome. just so that I can feel like... <laughs> I've got a little piece of boring. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, and one thing that we had uh, encountered, this is probably like a couple of weeks ago or so, we encountered a couple of location guides. And I, I never thought to look, I was doing some research for whatever for the podcast. And we found one for Los Angeles and we found one for um, Indianapolis. And, and yep. I, I wanted to ask you about a, a couple of the locations and just if you had any thoughts about them. Um, one was... Uh, the 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 never imitated, uh, always tried to duplicate it. JJ's Diner, uh, <laughs> the, the place where the political elite go to eat. That's right. Or meet. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, and the other was uh, actually the other was the pit, which I realized mm -hmm. may sound like kind of a dumb question, but I have a feeling that you know there may be more as with everything, there may be more thought that goes into it than than the layperson may think about. 
Um, yes, yes. So uh, JJ's Diner, um, you know, that all sort of stems from Leslie's love for waffles and, you know, where do we put this character? Where could she go? And where would everybody else go that feels feels like it could be close to city hall you know it's a it's a place that you go to get your morning coffee it's a place that everybody from city hall kind of ends up there because it's it's proximity to city hall and it was actually nowhere near city hall or <laughs> city hall it was in a totally different place um but it was, you know, it was just sort of this quirky little diner. Um, it, I, it, I don't know if they're still open or not, but it was called the Four and Twenty, and they had their specialty was pies. Um, <laughs> they they're here in Los Angeles, um, but it was just, you know, it was a it was a quaint little diner. I think without getting too too kitschy or you know to because we didn't want it to feel like a 50s diner you know it wasn't the we weren't going to the sock hop this was just yeah. a place where everybody from city hall kind of went to eat and it was it was just creating a space for and a rationale for why do all these people end up here all the time mm. and so that was sort of the idea behind what jj's became um as for uh, the pit, uh, the pit has a very interesting story. Um, <laughs> we so that was season one that we started on the pit, and um, we we really had to find a location that worked twofold, and that was the pit had to be adjacent to Anne's house. Mm -hmm. So not only did we have to find a house that worked for Anne, but then we also had to find a vacant plot of land that was adjacent to the house that we really liked. Yeah. Now in TV, of course, there's a lot of creative license granted and we could have, you know, we could have shot the house in a different place, but it was really important to Greg and Mike that we could walk out of the back gate cross the alley and be standing in the pit from Anne's perspective. And the house that we found for Anne's had a plot of land that was soon to be developed. Mm -hmm. And we didn't really know when it was going to be developed, but it was going to be developed in the future. So the producers were in talks with the guy who owned the land and we were able to dig an enormous hole in the ground and and that's what we did it was it was a flat piece of land there was nothing on it except for i think a for sale sign or for lease sign and we modeled the pit uh, a scale model of the pit in foam so uh, i had carved hand literally hand carved a scale model which actually was oh it was fairly big i want to say it was probably like 
three feet by two feet wow. in terms of a block of foam. <laughs> um, and then I just literally carved it out. And once that was approved for the pit, um, I went out and supervised a bunch of guys with bulldo bulldozers and backhoes <laughs> and watch them dig a giant hole in the ground wow <laughs> <laughs> which was really fun to be honest that's right that's right <laughs> there right. was no little you know wire foam cutter yeah there was there was no melon baller it was it was wow. watching you know guys that do this for a living move a lot of earth around and and it, it it had its own challenges, of course, um, because you you can't just dig a giant hole in the ground and mm. um, <laughs> assume that it's going to be safe. <laughs> so of course, there's you know um, we we basically could not dig because at its deepest point, I want to say it was thirteen feet from the top surface to the bottom um what it meant was because there's sort of ways of cheating the mm. the height aspect of it essentially and because of practical reasons when you have that much dirt that it, because if you if you look at the pit i think it it essentially covered i want to say three or four houses would have originally existed just where the hole is and then there was sort of an extension beyond that of probably another two to three properties that was how big the actual <laughs> hole on the ground was wow now in order to cheat the height because you can't just dig straight down 13 feet the earth would actually collapse on itself what we did was we started piling the dirt on the outside so once you if you scraped off that top layer the pit would have only been i think it was nine or ten feet but we cheated that by literally piling up mounds around the outside of the pit to sort of create the illusion <laughs> that it was much deeper than what it really was. And I do remember it was it was raining. I got to watch oh, no. a bulldozer sort of slide down the hill. Uh, that was the day that we called it quits and said, you know what? Maybe we'll come back tomorrow. It's a little too muddy. <laughs> but it's not no. many times in my life that I will get the chance to uh, watch a bulldozer slide down a hill backwards. Does it have its own tow truck or could it drive its way out of there? That's uh... a... <laughs> wow. That's crazy. You know, it. he ended up getting it out. He ended up, yeah, driving it right out. That's crazy. <laughs> Wow. Well, and it needed to be deep enough for what Andy to fall in it, Leslie to fall in it. You know, there were at least two people, maybe three eventually. So, and it had to because it was the story was that it was an abandoned development, so it had to feel like it was maybe the very beginnings of a condo complex or some townhomes yeah, or something, right. which is why we put in those you know what appear to be giant concrete columns and yeah. rebar yeah. and 
all of that stuff sort of felt like, okay, maybe it could be underground parking or maybe they're going to put all of the building services down there. Who knows what it was going to be, but it felt like it could have been some sort of residential development. Wow. I know on my list of locations, I, I, I do know that like Slippery Noodle was one of the locations in Indy. St. Elmo's Steakhouse, I think, was a stand-in. Uh, that actually we shot in St. Elmo's. In St. Um, Elmo's, okay. We did shoot in the real yeah. St. Elmo's. Um, that, yeah, and Slippery Noodle, we just used the exterior. Mm. If I remember correctly, I, that I'm that not sounds right about. Um. But we definitely shot in St. Elmo's. Yeah. In fact, we had dinner there. It was fantastic. Did you have the shrimp cocktail? <laughs> yes, shrimp cocktails and some steak. Oh, yeah. You, you have to wrong. have that shrimp cocktail. We're, we're famous oh, yeah. for that sauce. So. That's right. That's right. In fact, <laughs> yep. I vaguely remember probably five or six of the crew that were there for that shoot buying a bunch of the sauce to take home. In fact, I feel like I may have even bought some to give to my dad for a father's day go. gift. Perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's famous for sure. I know. I also spoke with the people at Upland a couple of seasons ago, because we kept seeing their logo pop up and I, I reached out to them and said, you know, from their perspective, how that had all happened. And so they were, they were super nice and wrote me back some notes, but um, they, they were kind of, were they a sponsor too? Like, is that kind of like one of those in place sponsorships or was it more I don't just, know. I think it was more so Gay Perello, our uh, prop master, you know, Again, this comes back to making everything as real as possible. And certainly mm. for a show like that, where it's sort of a mockumentary kind yeah. of show, you you want everything to feel real. And I think uh, in talking with Gay, our goal was let's let's see if we can get some local places. Let's mm. see if we can get some real bottles real newspapers real real things that exist yeah. in indiana that you know what 90 percent of the country is not going to know that that's from there but you know what anybody that's in indiana or surrounding indiana is going to know and they're yeah. gonna go oh yeah that's the real thing yeah maybe they really are there <laughs> you know and sometimes we were but most of the time it was really just trying to make it feel like we were really there in indiana somewhere and i think that's where all that comes from i think you guys did a fabulous job yeah nice job yeah. yes yeah very nice job we, we've <laughs> talked about that a lot on the show and you know i there probably was a palm tree along the way somewhere that we made fun of but mostly i feel like you nailed it uh, that's okay. I'll I'll take it. That that's yeah. the exception rather than the rule, though. You it guys is. did a great job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things to uh, you know avoid when shooting in Los Angeles. Doesn't matter what show it is, is palm trees. Yeah. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> and you can only wrap them so high because we do have tricks for even hiding palm trees. You know, we'll wrap them in a a skin that looks like bark. An oak tree. Um, yeah. <laughs> we got a exactly. lot of those. Well, yeah. Of course, it only goes up like, you know, eight feet, but right. you can't shoot above the eight feet, but below that's that right. eight feet, it sure does right. look like a pine tree or <laughs> a maple tree. 
Ian, I had I had one other question, just kind of changing the topic a little bit. I, I know that you've worked across uh, multiple uh, shooting environments. Like you've worked in TV, you've worked in movies. Um, do you have a preference? Is one tougher than the other? Do you um, do you like one over the other? You know, the, I think both of them, and even commercials too. They they all have. Um, they all have benefits and they all have caveats too. <laughs> you know, the, the great thing about working on films is that you have a long time to plan things. Um, you have months of preparation that you can take and, you know, really sort of fall down the rabbit hole of, uh, research, you know, uh, if if there was a Parks and Rec movie, you know, it's like, okay, how much research can I do about Indiana, and 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 of course make it a comedy, you know, like mm-hmm. the a good example of that, I guess, would be like the Post Office murals that mm-hmm. you know we had in City Hall. Yeah, that was a ton of research, but we could have done a ton more. And on movies, you have that benefit. Um, sometimes that's also, you know, it's downfall because <laughs> you get sort of stuck in these rabbit holes. Uh, TV is great because it's fast. Hmm. Um, TV can also be really hard because it's fast. Because now with the, all of the streaming services, everybody wants their tv show to look like a feature film yeah and that's hard because you have a very limited budget and you have a very limited time especially with network shows that show is still going to air next week granted it doesn't i mean it's not quite that fast but it still has an air date Mm -hmm. a movie you know what they don't even tell you when it's coming out and then (laughs) when they do tell you it's coming out, it's coming out a year later or two years later. (laughs) TV, you know what? Next Monday, that show is still going to air, (laughs) whether you like it or not. Right. And, you know, commercials, same thing. They're great because they are over so fast. But that's exactly it. They're over so fast. They're, you know, a commercial will shoot in one or two days sometimes it's a big commercial and it can last a few more but i you know as a favorite tv is great because most of the time i can be at home working in los angeles uh movies you know they're great because you get to create a big piece of art but you have to leave town and sometimes, you know, that's months on end and it's, it's tough. Um, so I think each one, you know, they're, each one is different and each one is great. And it's really nice to be able to go back and forth, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. When you get tired of TV, you know, you, if you're lucky, you get to go do a movie or some commercials. And when you get tired of doing those, you go back to doing TV and, TV's a little more civilized, I feel like, for the most part. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of in terms of working and hours, and um, I I would say that everybody 
I think for the most part really tries to put their heart and soul into whatever project they're working on. Um, at least I do. I, because I want it to be something that people can relate to or enjoy um, or feel like they're a part of that world, even if it is only for a half an hour, um, even if it's their one little escape. And I think that was, you know, it really, TV was great during the pandemic. I mean, granted, we all shut down and nobody was working, but I think it, it gave a lot of people an escape and it felt good to be a part of that. Speaking of being shut down, how, how is the writing strike affecting you guys right now? I know, I think you're, you're off, aren't you, you guys? Your union's in support, I believe. Yeah, you know, um, it, it kind of affects everybody in Los Angeles. Um, yeah. It definitely has affected all of, all of the work that I've been doing. Um, I was working on a Netflix show called Unstable, which is with Rob Lowe. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the strike happened or the strike started. By the end of the first day, we were told that um, that our show is not going to continue. We'll, you know, mm -hmm. we're waiting to find out if it gets picked up. Nobody, yeah. I mean, I think everybody is sort of up in the air about what's happening. Yeah. Um, yes, I think, you know, it's important for everyone to be supportive of what they're fighting for. Um, but it also, it does affect everybody's work. <laughs> so, you know, down, yeah. uh, I think a lot of, a lot of people that I know, you know, they, they're taking this time to, uh, be with their families, um, mm -hmm. to, to do some home projects, to, you know, work on, work on the things that you don't have time to when you are working. Yeah, sure. Um, we all hope it, you know, ends amicably and everybody can just go back to work because yes. <laughs> i think we all enjoy it so much that yeah. you know that's that's what we like to do yeah. um and hopefully it does you know we'll see we'll yeah. see well, we're, we're, we're rooting obviously for the writers and you and everyone else affected so um you know th that's a tough job and they deserve fair pay. That's my soapbox. I'm done. So, yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, everybody does, right? Everybody do. deserves yeah. pay for, yeah. you know, the job for that the they work. do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing the craftsmanship. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about parks and recreation, just the attention, the detail, and the, you know, for a comedy, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's, there's a really deep investment to not only make it funny, but to make it a real world. I mean, Mark and I talk about this all the time. I mean, it's just, it's so nuanced that it just feels like a real place. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's right. That's the goal. I mean, I think yep. for any designer, um, you want your audience to feel like they're a part of that, that world. Yeah. I mean, whatever it is, whether you know, they're on Mars or whether they're in <laughs> Pawnee, Indiana. Right. You want the audience to feel like they're a part of those characters. Cause that's otherwise why watch, right? <laughs> it's just, that's a good point. Not a not a whole lot 
to watch for otherwise you want to you know whether it's to laugh or to cry or whatever yeah. it's that's that's the goal always to make it feel like the audience is a part of it no, that's absolutely i know that that's one thing that that alan and i have said on many occasions when we've reviewed episodes is you know it's the plot's great and the actors and the writers they do a great job but you know what it's just fun bouncing around pawnee because it's it's come to life so well we we like we like that universe we just like being in there with with them you know so it it works and it's a character all in its own it is yeah that's you know (laughs) eagleton right i mean right of course (laughs) we've got a little town here just north of indianapolis that some people uh, actually follow a a, uh, (laughs) no no no, i'm just kidding wow so you're from pawnee i get it (laughs) hey you know (laughs) it's just saying i mean it's we, a thing. we have that here in Los Angeles too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, everybody that uh, lives in Beverly Hills, I'm sure looks at everyone else like it's Pawnee. And That's we right. certainly look at Beverly Hills like it's Eagleton. So. <laughs> it's yeah. relatable. I think that's a thing for people for sure, you know, cause it does exist. And even smaller than that. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be a town. It could be the next neighborhood over. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, it's that's very true. It, it is relatable because I think everybody has experienced that to some extent. They're like, oh, that's where the fancy people live, <laughs> you know, or yep. don't go to that side of the road. That's, that's right. funny. That's you know, funny. Like, don't don't cross. Yeah, they have You'll know when you see the cross. raccoons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> well ian thanks so much for agreeing to chat with us today this was terrific i know it yes. took us a while to put it together and i, I pr- i'm so glad we finally did and uh i we normally ask what you're going to do next so we can see your work I, I don't know under the circumstances do you know what that's going to be right now i think it'll be unstable i think that okay uh, good. we're coming back um good it's always fun I've heard to good work things so far rob yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, rob's yeah. a great guy and yeah you know, it's fun to work with him and it's him and his son, so that's always fun. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, it'll be me probably working on a furniture project until the rider strike is over <laughs> and maybe doing a little swimming in the pool. <laughs> I saw some of your work on Instagram. It looks great. So, Oh, thank you. Thank you very I'm much. A, I have a dream of making furniture as soon as my garage is clean enough for me to actually work on anything. So, Oh, don't worry. As soon as you start building furniture, it just yeah. becomes a mess again. A mess again. Uh, <laughs> that's okay to be worth it. So I think it's, you know, it's one of those hobbies. It's like uh, w- mechanics always say that the, the 10 millimeter wrench is missing <laughs> or the 10 millimeter socket is missing. Right, right. You know, woodworking is, I just had that chisel in my hand and I set it down here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's propping a door open, something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's great. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks again so much. We do appreciate it and uh, wish you all the best. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you guys. It's been all great. Right. Thanks, Ian. Take care. All right. Thank you, Ian. Right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Have a good, good one. Bye. Bye-bye. back. 
Well, Mark, that was, uh, like I said, I, it was very interesting to hear that interview again. So um, Ian was very gracious, gave us a bunch of his time. Yeah. And uh, I feel like we learned a lot in that. I was like kind of like going to school a little bit. And I, I actually enjoyed that. Yeah, I did too. Um, I mean, not like, you know, the, the, the other teachers I had school. in school. Good not school. Not boring yeah. school. It's it's cool school. Cool which, school. Which, you I know, like that. I never went to school no. school, but but no, you but were too cool for school. Mr. Phillips, thank you for taking us to cool school. No, I enjoyed it. It was yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was it was good. And I think we both learned a lot and uh we got to reminisce a little bit about the show, which is always fun. Yeah. And um I, I'm you know curious to see who we'll have next, but we've been super lucky to have great guests like Ian on, like yep. Kim, um, like uh, several directors, many writers. Uh, guest actors and uh, you know so many different seats we got to figure out who we're missing and then uh, go get them on the show mark I know yeah get on that yeah, you and get the interns on get on that I let, know let me know when we're ready stupid interns. I'll hit the record button like I usually do <laughs> all right mark well thanks for uh, being here with me thanks for listening at home everybody and uh, we hope you enjoyed our interview with Ian and uh, we look forward to coming back with another new episode next week all right bye everyone bye everyone Live from Pawnee is a copyrighted production of the creators. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Original music was created and performed by Aaron Emerson of Emerson Studios. Clips are used under fair use doctrine for the purpose of commentary and parody. Please see our website at livefrompawnee.com for more details or to contact us.